Welcome to another episode on the Phoenix Rising podcast. Journeys of descending into the mysteries and rising from the roots. I am your host, Lisa Hillier, spiritual mentor and priestess. I guide women into the mysteries within to rise rooted into their sovereign selves. And today I have Luna Battaglia on the show with me. Luna is a transformational alignment and leadership mentor. With a master's degree in spiritual psychology and the creator of the alignment code. In the self-initiation deck, working at the intersection of the human and the holy. Luna's mission is to support service-oriented changemakers in leading legacy-leaving lives, families, communities, and organizations through a path of self-initiation where they align their outer choices with their inner wisdom. Over the last decade, she's assisted thousands of visionaries through one-on-one mentorship, online group programs, in-person workshops, and transformational retreats to cultivate unshakable confidence and offer their personal contributions to a collective legacy we can all be proud of. Can't wait to sink into this episode with you and make sure that you share, download, like, subscribe. It allows others to experience the medicine that these episodes offer. And be sure to check out the Phoenix Rising Patreon portal with the link in the bio. Welcome, Luna. And to begin, what has been the journey that has brought you to the magic and the medicine that you're offering the world today? Hmm. I have had so many different incarnations of like what I'm offering, which once I got out of the fashion world was very interdisciplinary healing arts, yoga, and shifted to a lot of clinical support with addiction care. And then like more spiritual mentorship and like priestess initiation and like priestess mentorship and then business. And like all these things have always kind of been floating around um, simultaneously. Like when I was in clinical care and addiction, it was all about life purpose, like helping those clients find life purpose. That was like spiritual work and life purpose were like my two niches there. And I, so like all these things have always been floating around and I'm actually like now working with this amazing person to be like, I like, what is the thing that like people say my name and then I'm known for that because it feels like so many different intersections. And And like, to me, it feels like one solid thing but I don't necessarily know how to articulate that well. Mm. And so I think as, as like those healing arts journey and addiction care, it's like, I, I went from a corporate fashion world to having a, a spiritual awakening and receiving all these interdisciplinary healing arts that wanted me to then train in them and learn more once I found my ground and then share them over time. And so it's like, I think that we experience something and it nourishes us. Like I taught yoga for 11 years and I was like, well, yoga changed my life. And so then I did trainings and, and then I eventually started to share it. You know, once you get permission from your teachers and the lineage and that you start being called into service for me, it's always just about it's been, it's always, it has always been about just saying yes, Mm. rather than like, oh, I'm going to create an online coaching business. Like, that's not what happened for me. Like, I'm going to go work in addiction care. Like, 
none of those things are what happened. It has always been receiving an invitation. And these wild, spontaneous, random things in my life have come about to give me invitations. And I'm, I just arrive in the moment and I'm like, okay, yes. A friend of mine worked in addiction care at this clinic in Malibu. And he was like, I'm going on vacation for like three months and they don't have anyone on staff to replace me. Like it's, it's spiritual counseling. It's life purpose. Like it's guiding meditation group classes and working one-on-one. Like, would you be open? You'd have to interview and like have your credentials and talk to the owner and and all that stuff. And I was just like, okay. (laughs) And then my coaching practice, I went to school because I was grieving. I went to a master's program. And I was like, I didn't know what to do with myself. I needed to like put myself somewhere. So I studied spiritual psychology and in my class, my classmates were just like, wow, I just had these breakthroughs working with you as a facilitator. Like, do you, for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, like, do you do this? Can I hire you outside of class to like work with me? And I was like, all of a sudden I was like spontaneously crafting coaching packages for my classmates. And I was like, yeah, sure. Like, of course because people were inviting me to step into something. And I think that that's been a theme throughout my life of being invited and trusting the invitations that the universe brings and saying yes, versus like trying to be a penetrative force of like what I want to create. And, and yeah, it's just been like, as I reflect on that, I don't think I've spent a lot of time really acknowledging that, but So many of the things that I've done have really come from people asking me to do something for them because they see it in me and they believe in me. Mm. And it's something that I didn't necessarily see yet. Um, Same with like branding and website stuff. It's like, I do a lot of that creative direction for companies and it's like, I never put marketed it. I never put it out there, but people could see what I was doing for myself. And we're like, could you do that for me? Like, okay. So I love like reflecting in this moment. I love just receiving the invitation and saying yes to like how the universe is asking me to show up. And I think it's very feminine to like have, to be um, like multidisciplinary and uh, just, just curious about a lot of different things. And I think that's a big part of the priestess path as well as like, to me, priestesship is like being able to clean the the temple and Mm. do the and like you know be a channel for the healings and sing the right song receive the right song at the right moment and also um be able to birth help birth a baby and know the right herbs and it's like it's highly multidisciplinary and it's really about the intimacy with life and and trusting yourself to meet that moment so I feel like so much of my like offerings and work like work in the world is really just like an expression of hearing the call and being of service to whatever is being asked of me at that time. I love that. What it felt like is like that feminine aspect of having all these threads mm-hmm. that we put in the cauldron of Caridwin and it just alchemizes into the magic that we offer the world, but it's, it's not one thing, but they all interweave together to make this beautiful tapestry that allows allows us to stand in our purpose. Are you, do you know your human design? I don't know why that came up. I'm, 
I mean, like, all I know is that I'm a generator. I don't know, like, oh, nine spleen, two, five, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't know any of that. I mean, someone told me it. Either. Yeah, someone's mm-hmm. told me it. And I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds super me. Like, wow. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember any of it. I just know that I'm a, I'm like an energizer, Benny. Mm, nice. <laughs> nice. Just that in, invitation piece. Like, that is so beautiful to just say yes and allow life to invite you into that next. That's a projector thing. Yeah. Well, that's what I was wondering. They need the invitation. Like I can actually self-initiate a lot in my life. Like I'm that person who also, like my mom crafted me to believe that I could do anything. So I'm the person who like, oh, I'm going to start a graphic design company and have it make a million dollars in in the next two years. Like I I could do that if that's my energy, I could Mm. do that. and, And it would be successful if I wanted it to. And every time I try to like live my life that way, it's just like something comes up that moves me in a different direction that is more life giving me the invitation. So I've just learned to trust that a lot more. Yeah. Mm, beautiful. Was there a moment when you were in your corporate world, the, the fashion world, where it was like something is not right, this doesn't fit, <laughs> and maybe the goddess brought you to your knees and it's like something has to has to change? Yeah. You know, I got into fashion as a kid because I made clothes with my mom. Uh, for fun for myself like we'd go to the fabric store and like get a pattern and modify it and like buy fabric and like make something special for me and that was like so fun to do together and then when she died I started working in a fashion in in a boutique that I was like at 13 was like doing a lot of work off the books making five dollars an hour (laughs) in like the late 90s um and yeah, there's, um, and so it had all this like joy and creativity and fun for me. And then I like went to college and it was still creative. It was still like, come up with this project, come up with this design. Then when I got, and I worked in the industry my whole life, like since I was 17, I mean, 13, like doing different things, but like actually doing design work in, uh, like a fashion house since I was 17 and I would go to school and work as a assistant designer at the same time. I've always been a hard worker. Um, just, I like to work and it was fun for me because I was learning and I had a mentor and it was creative still, and it was fun. And then the more and more I got into it, I worked for this really awesome company who was European. These, these two designers, Johan Lindeberg and his wife at the time, Marcella and we had this, it was like, it was a fun, intimate, like European design house. And we, we got to be, we had like all the freedom in the world and it got to be creative. And then in 2008, the economy was failing. Everyone was losing their jobs. No one could find a job. And I was being offered a paid move and a raise to go to California from New York. And I was like, I can't say no to this. I'll just go for two years. The economy will change. I'll move back to New York. And we, we like kind of got our little sweet, little intimate European fashion house kind of got bought and pulled under this corporate big jeans and t-shirt, like California mass production company. And like, I hated it. (laughs) And it was just like, the work environment was so different. It was like super hustle, super like by the book. Okay. Your break was five minutes. And like, with more of the European vibe that we had in New York, it was like, come in when you want, leave when you want, as long as you get your work done. And like, 
you could, it wasn't like you have this many days off a year. It was like, you know, as long as you're doing what you need to do, it's all good. Um, breaks, long, long cappuccino walks and coffee breaks and like just a different environment. And I saw like, I also started to be having conscious awakenings around the same time. So I became aware of the environment. I became aware of how much things actually cost to make in the factories and what we were selling them for and the markup and like the quality and how people were living in the places where the factories were and how much um, waste there was and how much damage to the environment and how much the industry, the marketing of the industry was based in not enoughness. Like, and those colors are old and those designs are old and they're just a season old. And so you got to get all the new stuff to stay popular and on trend and like know that you know what's going on in fashion you got to get all new clothes every three months which is crazy um and I just started seeing all of that and the and like my boss changed and all this stuff and, and the other thing I realized is we'd work 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 we, it would be so fun we'd be creative we'd be creating these designs and then we'd have a fashion show and all of it was so fun we'd party super hard the day of the fashion show come in late the next day or take off and then we'd start all over again and it was like it just I like saw myself in the hamster wheel of like the next season and the next thing and like just producing 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 and how the the factories were producing produce and I just like it started to lose it's what was once a very romantic thing for me as an artist to be able to have creative expression and have nothing and then dream up a shape and a design and a color story and make something out of nothing it just all of that lost its magic and it just aligned to to quit and I was and it was you know around the economy crash and so there wasn't a lot of work I worked freelance I did some odd jobs in fashion but I had got stuck with this like really expensive Equinox gym membership mm-hmm. that I couldn't get out of. And so I spent all my time like going to this gym and taking yoga classes. And I started to like see strings of light and color like coming out of my fingertips as I was doing these asana poses that I had never really done before. And so I'm like smoking cigarettes and drinking bourbon and working in fashion and partying. And then I'm like having these other experiences at the same time that were awakening me. And my yoga instructor was like, read this book and like, read this book. And, and like slowly, but surely things started to shift. And then I was like eating organic food and like little things that just started to happen that kind of catalyzed a change for me. I love that. It's like yoga starts to seep in and and cracks you open a little bit. Yoga was a catalyst for my path as Mm. well, where it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, things started to change and then the things that never fit started to fall away, but it was kind of like a little seeping in. What is the priestess path looked like for you? Or what is the priestess path? And with the initiations and the call to, to step onto the piece priestess path I think it sounds like this like really like sexy fancy word and there's a lot of people who like envision like this like goddess dripping and like beautiful (laughs) gowns and like jewels and carrying um like incense and copal burning in the temple and it's just like this sexy vision of 
Um, and I, I just think of it as like practical priestessing, just like fully, like it's going to my friend's house who was pregnant and who um, like her belly was too big to like wash dishes. And so like her kitchen was just like a disaster and um, like going and like cleaning the countertops and doing the dishes and like talking to her while I'm like just helping with something that she couldn't do and, and being available for, for like to me, that's that's service that's priestesship it's it's humility it's it's like the minimal the minimal like you know I just I just finished a tea retreat um this past weekend that I was organizing for my teacher and friend and she's on this tea zen path which is very structured and disciplined and lineage with rules and then she's also like wild priestess path on a, on a separate part of her life and it's really interesting because as a, as a tea server, you, you want to be invisible. It's not about you, right? You're there to serve tea and give people the experience of being with this master teacher and this medicine. And you're just the vehicle and the vessel for which it's being shared with them through. And the more people notice you, the worst job you're doing. And I think people like romanticize, like going to Hawaii and being initiated and like in this, like, red gown and like on the rocks and like everyone's has roses and blah 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 and to me the like that's being initiated and like to me being initiated is like going through the the like dark night shit (laughs) and Mm -hmm. and like feeling alone and finding that one person who's like you know my my person who helped me out of that my mentor and person Hayes Hayes Hawk she's um she's super priestess Mm. and and she's the one who like goes to someone's house when their dad dies and makes like a big pot of soup and brings it and like make sure that everything's taken care of and then goes to goes to deliver a baby and then is like hosting three strangers at our house who are in town who are like someone's friend friend and and like just shows up and does what's necessary for the community to feel held and to be supported and um like to me she knows all the the songs and the rituals and the mantras and can like create so much beauty and so much ritual and it's mostly just the practical day-to-day like Mm. come to my home and rest and I'll make you soup and I think that kind of stuff is not like so Instagram worthy and it can like priestesship can look like very romanticized visually and in our minds and to me it's almost like being invisible but making sure all the stuff that tends to your community and helps them heal and like it's planting seeds and growing calendula and making salves and like handing it to the right person when they need it and like no one knows how long all of that took to like be intimate with your garden and the flowers and to make that and to you know tend the bees and get the like you know one no one can see that part, but, but to me, that's, that's really the beauty of it. That's what priestessing is to me. Yeah. I love the, the romanticizing of it and this kind of image that comes to mind. And when I began my priestess training in 2019, it has taken me into the deepest, darkest initiations I've ever experienced. So it it literally excavates everything that is, is not, um, that truth or or cleans out, rips out the foundation and, 
and supports a new one so that you can show up fully in, in service to humanity, but it's not all roses. Yeah. Do you want to speak to the tea and tea ceremony and the master teacher of tea and how it's been a, a guide in your life? Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, so I met I met like actual tea because I was a self-taught herbalist for a long time. And then I met tea and I had this whole like I don't drink caffeine. Like, I don't drink coffee. I don't drink caffeine. Like I can't, I can't wake up at 6am and drink tea at a ceremony when I haven't had food, like caffeine messes with me. And this is my story. Mm. And it was actually postponing and keeping me from, from meeting my teacher because I had all these stories. And I, I think of that as if it was a person and how, you know, this person is coming into my life from this place and this place and this per this teacher is trying to reach me. And I'm like, nah, you know, I, I, I blah, blah, like whatever the story is that we tell ourselves that keep us the limiting beliefs in a way that kind of keep us from, um, receiving. And so I sat in a, in a Chadao ceremony with my friend and teacher, now teacher Balin, Elspeth, um, Tian Wu and it, it was the ceremony of it that allowed me to commune with the teacher more than the cup of tea. Cause you know, I go to, I go to different kinds of drinking tea places with like Chinese folks and everyone's on their phone and smoking cigarettes. And like, it's just a different vibe, which is like so fun and different. And, and I've been to like different lineages of Gong Fu tea and, and all these kinds of differences. And this particular practice that I've um, been, this particular practice that I practice of Chadao is, is simple, is simple. And there's, and it's not, there's so much to it, but there's, well, when you start out, it's just the simplicity of these practices. And for me, it's helped me to I, like once I finally was able to like welcome it, I told, was telling people at the retreat the other day that, you know, I just, I got my first proper pot and two bowls and I just sat every day for a year because part of me wanted to invest in like, oh, I want this kettle and I want this thing and I want that thing because it's pretty and this is what you do and this is what it looks like. And look at all these people with their tea stuff. And, and I just knew that like, in order to do that, well and to honor the, the plant and the teacher and the, the lineage and the practice I had to I had to just listen and so I got a pot with two bowls tiny simple pot and just sat every day for a year and sometimes I'd serve like my beloved at the time or a friend randomly but in a very like I'm just a person sharing tea not like I'm in this lineage of people and I'm serving you tea because I know all these things about tea and little by little by little I just I learned about communing with the elements I learned about water in a different way I learned about fire in a different way I learned about plants and earth and earth and what they need to be their best expression of self in a different way and presence and what happens if I 
pour some hot water in a pot and then I start thinking about something and I forgot that the water is in there. Now I'm drinking bitter tea. Mm. Or if I'm in a lack mind and I have a really good tea and I don't put enough of it in the pot because I want to save it. And then I'm drinking weak, kind of weak water tea. (laughs) And like all these things that just teach you about presence and abundance and generosity and elemental communion and, and communion with the earth. And, um, you know, it, it brought Guan Yin into my life. It brought martial arts and internal arts into my life. It brought teachers into my life. And it's been probably like nine years communing with this plant master plant teacher. And I've done the whole like psychedelic journey for many years with shaman and and entheogenic plants and like while that's revelatory and amazing in its own way at the time the simple practice of tea on a daily basis has has just like brought so many profound lessons into my life and it's a place where I write a lot of my poetry after drinking tea and I feel like I I like pray and commune and um experience life differently from from being intimate with with this tea and it's also a way of it brings people together like I sit by myself but it also like brings people together which is amazing yeah are there core lessons that have come through for you with from the elements or from the tea of how humanity can thrive on this planet? Yeah, a lot of it has to do with water. Um, The quality of water that you drink with tea is changes the whole game. Like I have special water that I get delivered to my house that's like only for tea. Like, yeah, I drink it, but I also, like I make sure that I have enough for a daily practice. and communing with water like water is so receptive and I think it really I think it's a living being that really hears us and um is affected by our thoughts and affected by our um yeah I think it that it picks up a lot of psychic communication and just how like reflective it is you know, when you look into a pond and you can see your reflection, there's something about how water reflects back to us, our own selves, our own mind, our own thoughts. And so like, there's a practice, if I was serving you tea, that I would take the kettle off the burner and like put it down and it quiets the kettle because the kettle's like kind of bubbling, making a little like low, low boil sound. And in that moment when it settles, like my mind settles clear mind because if I have cloudy mind and I'm pouring the water you know that's that's coming in but I I think that that has shown me so much about one my my mind but two like being in relationship with water in my life outside of tea in a different way not just getting good water for tea and and tending water and really being in relationship with it as a living being that's um, bringing a lot of blessings into my life and the world and 
Yeah, just looking at what um, what's being reflected back to me. Yeah. And you know, I started like you know, maybe on this podcast it won't seem so weird, but I really started like talking to my water and writing messages and putting them near the water and just being in a different relationship with it. And um, I can feel a big difference. I can feel a big difference and can feel the, the healing power of water. And, and with tea, it's like, how simple is it, right? You just need some kind of vessel, some kind of bowl that you might eat rice out of, whatever, just one possession, one bowl, leaves and hot water. You don't need anything else. Everything else is just additional stuff that's unnecessary, that's beautiful. And at times can create a really beautiful ceremony and space and experience. And like, you literally need bowl, tea leaves and hot water. Yeah, that simplistic aspect to it. And what's really stood out for me is that recept, the receptivity of water. And we think about ourselves and how much water is in our body and speaking into the water and the thoughts that we have and how we kind of commune with the waters but then can be reflected in the waters that sit that sit within you or in front of you with that receptivity and receiving what are some kind of core elements that stand out for you of how to open yourself to receive ah oh. <laughs> oh. I think that it begins, you know, a, a phrase that I use mostly with myself quite a bit is this idea that all separation is rooted in separation from God. Mm. And if I feel disconnected to myself, if I feel disconnected to my, my work, my bank account, my friend, like if I'm having discord with someone or like having negative thoughts, like it to me I just go to the source right like I can process all these things and like blah 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 and past lives and blah blah I don't have no idea you know all this stuff that we can attribute meaning to and like maybe who knows why but I for me I know that at the root of an experience of separation is that somewhere along the way I separated from God in a moment there was mistrust there was something that happened that I decided I could do it better on my own and I and I didn't connect with and when I say God I, I mean like universal existence and life and breath moving through like that whole one consciousness whatever you know whatever words you want to use death you know life death the continuous breath of of all of it and I think for me I find myself disconnected from that and then my experience in life shows me that in some way mm. and so that's usually the place that I go to and so when we talk about like openness and receptivity I think that it, that's the first piece because I can't I don't think I can be fully connected to myself and trusting myself and intimate with myself in a way where I know what I want, what I need, that I'm receptive, that I'm open, that I'm soft, that I'm available, that I'm trusting if I don't, if I'm not connected to God and I'm trusting in that relationship first. 
So for me, it be, it comes like, you know, when I was married, I always had this idea that I, I was in a um, polyfidelitous relationship. And what that means is like a multiple committed relationships, multiple monogamous relationships. And my primary relationship was with God. My secondary partnership was with myself. And my third primary partnership was with my partner, my husband. And as if I was following that, life was amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and I think that like, that's my personal responsibility that I wanted to hold myself to. And I, and I did often, but I think that's just like the trick of it is reconnecting when we, when we get disconnected and relationships, that's a whole other thing. We're just talking about ourself and receptivity. It becomes a lot easier there's no there's less triggers um less sticky stuff but yeah I think for me it's like we could talk about softening we could talk about trust we could talk about opening and like to me it's it's the willingness to be available to hear and receive guidance mm. so my willingness that I'm op like opening is is like even a further along on the the path of it is like, I have to be willing. I have to be available. Then it's like listening. That's a whole practice. That's a lifetime practice mm -hmm. <laughs> of just listening and listening without clouded ears, listening with the ears in my heart, listening without um, wanting the answers that I hear to be different or the guidance that I hear to be different than it is. Listening, then it's trusting what I heard. Yeah. And then taking action at some point. Right. And yeah, you know, yeah, I think the openness and the listening kind of go together, like to be able like that kind of relates and just trusting what I hear, trusting that my intuition, trusting the guidance that's received, trusting the wisdom that's beyond me, but that mm -hmm. I have cultivated my capacity to be in relationship with and hear, then, then it's taking action. And I think so often I, I can myself, I can just rush that process. I think we're so in the world it's so like go 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 that mm. we don't allow all those phases of, of receptivity to to have space to be acknowledged as beautiful aspects of the of beautiful steps on the path of receptivity and it's just like do the thing um maybe because somebody else wants you to do it maybe that listen you know that listening hasn't even taken place so i yeah. think receptivity is like a fourfold path there yeah, that deep listening and hearing and receiving. And have there been moments on your path where you've received nudges or guidance or intuitive knowings like, like every I've, day? Yeah, received big ones and it's asking me to take a leap of faith and follow mm. my heart. Have there been moments where you've you've followed that leap of faith and trusted and and what has met you on the other side? Yeah, big time. So many times, so many big ones. Um, yeah, I'd say going to my master's program in spiritual psychology at USM, University of Santa Monica, that was like a big one. I was in a really big grief phase in my life and like two or three people who I wasn't really that close to at the time, but I kind of peripherally knew in my community just kept showing up for me and just kept finding their way into having conversations and they both were graduates of this alumni of this program. And I, I just didn't know what to do with myself. 
And like that kind of sign of having them in my field just kind of nudged me in that direction. And that was huge, life-changing, transformational path. I would say that like, I ended my marriage like that. And it was the last thing I wanted to do. And that nudge inside of me and that guidance was like undeniable. Well, I had denied it for a while. (laughs) Thinking that if I could just communicate, you know, vulnerably and like share what was happening, that like I would be met and things would change. And like, I kept experiencing the same thing. And I was like, okay, like the nudge came and I was like, fuck, I don't want to do this really big thing that's going to drastically change my life. I like my life. Yeah. I like this person. I love this person. And I also like knew that I had to do that. And it it was just like, okay, God, like God's plan. It was like quitting fashion mm. and like quitting fashion and becoming like a shamanic healer, like with no money, like living in the freaking woods, you know, just like trusting that trusting that things would happen and and like I would be you know I I did I had that like okay god like I hear you I hear that I've been ignoring this for so long and I'm finally willing to listen and it wasn't god at the time it was like some beings right like some guiding beings and the reason I like gave my life over to service and to god was I thought that they were going to quit trying to help me see. Mm. I was like, wow, they've been trying to give me these nudges and I've been ignoring them. And if I keep ignoring them, what if they give up on me? What if they stop trying to help me change my life? (laughs) And I just realized I got afraid that more nudges weren't going to come because I was ignoring them, that I decided to like take drastic action in my life. I got sober in in a moment because of that because of that, um, what was started as fear and ended up turning into devotion really quickly, you know? And I think that these big things happen and um, yeah, I, I, those nudges, they're, uh, they're the thing that leads my life. And it's taken me a long time Wow, I'm just thinking about this now. This is cool. It's taken me a long time to heal a lot of trauma to be able to to be able to hear them. And I'm not done with that process. And it's cool to think like, wow, there's gonna be like, it's gonna get even better and more clear and amazing. And like, wow, as I can and I can see that having already happened in my life. Like the more that I just clean my mind of the chatter. And the old, the lies that I've bought into, the more this like amazing guidance and like somatic, sensational communication and my body being, my limbic system being able to communicate with your body and nervous system and limbic system is like giving me all this information. Like the technology of our body is freaking amazing. And like, wow, I can hear. Like there's so much information that's being passed to us all the time that I'm likely unreceptive to because there's still cloudiness and stories and and meaning making and things and like misbeliefs about myself and other people in the way. And what a cool 
thing that that's probably just going to keep getting better and better because it's already pretty awesome. Those activations speak louder and louder. And with that, like, I love the, the technology of the body and how we're communicating without any words and that's all happening. Um, when we get quiet enough or when we still the chatter in the mind or maybe not still it maybe that's not the right word because it never fully goes away there's moments of stillness for sure does anything come to mind for you of like practices on how to release yourself from the trappings of the mind or the bondage of the mind drink tea <laughs> drink tea, drink tea. <laughs> Medi med you know meditation and I think for me, I have a good balance of like masculine meditation, which is like seated silent meditation and feminine meditation, which for me is like more whirling dervish devotional movement and mm. just like the pouring of, I don't even know how to talk about it, but that, that I go into that zero point. I go into the no mind um, by doing, by moving, by, by being like just pouring my love into, into life and to God that I can find clear mind um and I think that especially for female bodied people that that is super important to have both and that our culture really leans towards like silent seated meditation and while that's extremely valuable I think the devotion the discipline and the devotion the devotee and the disciple like need to have an alchemy within ourselves to um to find wholeness and that that devotee expression is really important for for everyone but i find particularly for female bodied people it's like like just because of our culture you know just creates that balance um for me yeah trauma healing somatic like you can't listen to the sensation in your body if you're dissociated from your body and i spent a ton of time in my life dissociated from my body doing drugs, being promiscuous, super partying and count. Yeah. Just like countless ridiculous stories where I could have been like, really, um, where I didn't know how I got where I got and like living in Manhattan and like wandering, like just crazy shit, mm. um, from a really young age. And I, I think to myself, like, I have a cousin who's six days older than me who we, we grew up together, but then like, as we got older, we lived in different parts of the country and we'd see each other, you know, twice a year or something. We're, but she, she really like was a different kind of addict. You know, I was fairly mild. Um, mine was considered normal for my age and, and the culture that I was in that like teenager high school kids and college kids like drink a lot and you know party in this way it was fairly normalized but I definitely had a problem that because of the culture around me wasn't necessarily identified um but I could as I got older I could start to see like oh this is this is actually a real problem and I could see that in a lot of my peers too but like that's not for me that's for them to see for themselves um but my cousin like and she really like just she really just lost herself. And I, I think about it all the time because I always had this voice. Like I always had this guidance. I always had this thing that like kept me 
somewhat safe. And like, I, I spent a lot of time in prison doing work, working with a nonprofit and doing like emotional freedom work with uh, forgiveness work with, with um, the incarcerated community for, for like five, six years. And I think about how I could have been, like, I could have easily <laughs> like ended up doing something really stupid and ending up in, in, in jail or prison and, um, and how so many of the people in there was just like, it's just trauma. It's just suffering. It's just your environment. It's just like epigenetic shit that like we can't escape. And, and then we end up in these places in our lives. I ended up in a yoga studio that changed my life. Like they, you know, they ended up in a prison that can like literally change your life in the most positive, amazing, brilliant way. But I think about it often like, wow, I so could have, my life could have looked very different. And why didn't it? Mm. Like, why did my cousin end up like this? And why did these guys in prison that I hang out with, like, why did, like, why did this happen? Like that, you know, the socioeconomic uh, racial reasons and different things for reasons, like why I didn't end up in prison and they did, it's like a whole other topic, but it's also that I had this, I had something that I that I didn't consciously know that was guiding me or that I was connected to that I really feel was keeping me safe and guiding my life and that in some unconscious way I was in relationship with it and that that kept me like just safe enough just receptive enough just enough whatever, for the right people to come into my life, for my life to change, you know, the right opportunities. And even when I was in fashion in New York and like really partying a lot, like just the shallow, you know, like magazine editors and models and blah, 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 blah. blah. It was like, I always found these like really cool people with depth, (laughs) like one, you know, and like and I would be magnetized to them and they would be magnetized to me. And even though we were um, inebriated, like we'd, we'd stay connected. We'd go out to dinner and we'd have these like philosophical meta conversations. Like I was always like that, even though I had this very dissociative trauma guide led, like making decisions from a place of my own trauma in my life. Like I still always had this thread of mystic that, that connected me to other mystics and that they would find me. And I just, I'm like, wow. And I can see that in my cousin. And and I think about Clarissa Pinkola Estes and these like archetypal things and how the addict is really the seeker is really the mystical seeker who like knows like this world isn't what it's supposed to be. Like something's off here, something's wrong. And they're like seeking to find the, the, the way things they know could be but they're just looking in the wrong places and they have these highs and they're like yes that's it that's it like everybody come on like this is it but then like the way that they're getting it creates these low low lows Mm. and so there is this like path of the mystic that I think is so woven with the addict and and like the dissociative one who needs to like fill that pain and fill that um hole that's not really there that the hole that's a lie Mm. and yeah I I think that in some way that thread of mystic really kept me alive and kept me and like 
brought me to my people in these weird ways. You know, I'd, I'd go to a bar with my friends and I would, they would like party and, and dance and do all these things. And I would like sit at the bar and, and like the 75 year old, 80 year old man would come and sit next to me and like, tell me stories. Mm-hmm. And I would listen and we would talk about life in this way that was like so different than the rest of my peers capacity. It's like, what was that? You know, yeah. I'm still getting wasted and drinking bourbon straight <laughs> but like but there was this other thing that was that was alive that I didn't even have language for or or conscious awareness of mm. beautiful I resonate so much with that and that dropped into my field somewhere I read it somewhere about addicts or people that you know with alcohol or drugs or whatever it might be looking for this mystical experience outside of themselves chasing God um and that was definitely part of part of my path and then when sobriety came in it was like Mm. turning yourself around and you have to go within and you'll find that mystical God experience Mm. within you as opposed to something that is that is outside of the self are you a Sagittarius yeah Oh yeah. I'm a Sagittarius too. It's that (laughs) (laughs) total, total seeker energy. Um, yeah, where we're, we know there's something, something Mm -hmm. more to this human experience for sure. So what is the work that you offer the world today? And I know that it, the thread of that, because you've already said that it's like so multi-dimensional and, and the, the tapestry of it, but financial sovereignty, I believe is like a, a thread to that. And so what does the work look like that you're offering and how, how is God in money? And oh yeah. Yeah. Well, money, yeah. sex, God, they money, sex, God, they, the trifecta, you know, they, mm. and I think it's all about personal liberation from the lives that we've bought into that, are, that disconnect us from our inherent birthright. That is nature. That is we are nature unfolding that doesn't think about that is fully on purpose all the time. Like the presence of nature is on purpose without having to think about anything, do anything specific. It's doing what it's supposed to be doing in every moment, in every phase of its expression in its death phase and its blooming phase and its sprouting phase and its composting phase. And it's, you know, it's fully, fully on purpose and doesn't judge any of those phases as better or worse. And our conscious awareness has really our our ability to be curious in a way that other beings on this planet don't have is, is like a gift and a curse. And I think that, sorry, I got like on a whole meta trip and you're like, what do you do? wait a minute (laughs) it's never an easy answer though when asked what do you do when you're in this film you know yeah (laughs) so I think you know I think it's a lot about the weaving oh yeah we talked about like money sex god and liberation and then I like went off on a whole like meta tangent um I think it's really about it's about that it's about like yeah I want I work with like badass women entrepreneurs people who start nonprofits and huge organizations and their own businesses and, you know, whatever field that they're in or, or women who are like higher up in a, in a corporate place as leaders and big, big personalities, big women. And for me, it's just about like one embracing their bigness, 
liberating them from like any any ways that they might play small. The too muchness piece is like a big one because that's a big part of my story. And and I think a lot of people are, are that I work with have that and are attracted to that. And so a lot of what I do is the is the liberation work. And to me, that that path of personal alignment and professional alignment. And when I say professional alignment, I mean how you show up, what your messaging is like, what your the visual aspects of your marketing, like are they congruent to who you authentically are in your natural birthright expression? Or are you like contriving and trying to play safe and fitting into a box because this is what you think is going to be palatable to this audience and like all of that stuff. That's my job is like, I want to blow all of this like contrived boxing for somebody else stuff out of the water, especially in the marketing arena, especially in messaging, especially in branding, especially in like personal expression and how we show up. And I, and I find that when that intersection of personal and professional alignment, which like to me, personal alignment is so much related to relationship with God, intimacy with creative expression, what I call the muse, which uh, I think is an aspect of how God uh, plays in this world. like the Lalita aspect of playfulness and hey, you, like I want to make a creative baby with you. Like you and me, we should get together and birth this business, book, poetry, recipe, meal into the world, whatever it is. And there's an intimacy of being in relationship with that. So, so much of my work is just helping people get intimate enough, Mm. get all the other stuff out of the way that's blocking the ability to be intimate, to hear their own truth, to hear their own guidance, to be in relationship with God and creativity in a way that they can receive it and, and move in that direction and stop comparing themselves to somebody else and and somebody else's business and to really be self-sourced from within and be self-expressing from that place that's not that is an expression of their own liberation that's not comparative and not trying to fit into a box and not following like somebody's fucking template of like this coach that they paid who gave them this template because that's what worked for them and then they're like replicating it and it's just I hate all that and not to say that I don't have templates that I share with people that are valuable, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but I also encourage them to not to like, it's like, I, I cook intuitively, but it doesn't mean I've never read a recipe. Right. I'm yeah. not someone who measures everything exactly the way the recipe says, but I'll look at it and I'll review it and then I'll do my own thing. Mm-hmm. And I get that not everybody's like that. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a thing that I have. Um, but yeah, like so much of my work is really the, I think a lot of people, there's a lot of business coaches. There's a lot of spiritual coaches and there's not a lot of the intersection. Mm. And that's really where my work lies is like personal and spiritual alignment, professional financial alignment. And it's, this is our birthright, right? To be self-expressed, to be on purpose. Like we all have a purpose that we're sharing and abundance is our birthright. You know, like when you start living in nature, you, you really see how abundant things are. Mm -hmm. You really, you know, you, you walk by what you think are weeds and it's plantain and you have a, a cut. And then it's like the thing that you need is right there. You just pop it in your mouth and chew it up and make, put it on your cut. You know, it's like, it's so abundant. We're so well provided for. And I think that we, 
we forget that. And then we're like trying to do everything ourselves and we're in the separateness. So my job is to, is to help my clients come back to the intimacy. So even when I do like things like business strategy with people, like I do these VIP days, business strategy messaging, it's so much about like just helping them get intimate enough with themselves, with life, with their purpose to be able to hear the truth that they've been overriding. Like if I were to say, like you can have all these things that I do in these offerings, but like intimacy doula is probably the thread that is, that encompasses all of them and weaves them all together. It's like when we have that intimacy with ourselves, everything we need to know is within ourselves. And it sounds like the, the journey that you guide others on or, or go with others on is clearing away anything that keeps them separate from hearing yeah. and trusting truth. it. And trusting it. Yeah. Trusting it is actually the bigger one. A lot of people have been hearing the guidance for a long time, well before they find it ways to me. Um, the hearing the guidance, I, I think, is less of the issue. Having awareness is less of an issue. I think a lot of people are very aware. But the congruent action part, the trust, that's where we all get really uh, halted and yeah. to the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. And then we, you know, it's like I talked about alignment, personal alignment, spiritual alignment, professional alignment. Like to me, I have this thing called the alignment code awareness plus congruent action equals alignment. So we have the awareness. We, we hear that voice in our head when we're ordering food that says, don't get the greasy, blah, blah, blah. Like get the, get the healthy thing. Like we hear that voice in our head, but then we mm. do the opposite. We override that wisdom. We override that knowing we miss, we, we communicate to that guidance. I don't trust you. I know better. I'm going to do it my way. And, and then we suffer because of that. <laughs> yeah. And it might be fun and sexy and, and delicious for a moment, but it lacks so much that we get when we begin to listen and trust and take congruent action. Yeah. Are there kind of core beliefs or blocks that you see show up around money? Is there a common thread for mm -hmm. humans? I, I, in the past, when I was like more in my like yogi hippie awakening phase, maybe 12 years ago, there was so much in that realm of you know, I'm doing air quotes right now for people who can't see me. It's like, um, that spirituality mm. air quote, spirituality that, that judges people with money yeah. <laughs> and judges. So like, it just creates such a distance from the thing that you like, I don't even want to say want, cause I don't know if that's true for a lot of those people, but need to mm. exist in the world. And when I think of, you know, there's so many things that are threads here and we were talking about water. And when you see currency as a current and movement and water flowing and the abundance of that, and there, there is this current that is moving, that is energy in motion, that is flowing, that is many rivers going into a big abundant ocean and like when you start to relate to money in this way of of the current and the flow and the movement and the circulation and the the reciprocity and 
I actually don't, I try not, I'm not a saver. Mm. Uh, I like to move my money around. I like to invest in things. I like to invest in people. I like to, I like to get rid of it. I like to make it flow and keep it circulating. And, and like, I, I find that I receive more. Uh, I also don't think that saving money is the smartest. I, I want to grow money. Just like I want to grow a garden and I save seeds, but if I just saved my seeds forever and I never planted them and I just saved them forever. Yeah. Like maybe the next generation, if I saved them well, it can like have them, which is valuable, but, but also like planting them and growing food and like having circulation and sharing that, like, that's so important. So I, I think that, um, there's, there's a contraction piece. There's a judgment towards people who have money. There's a contraction piece around needing it. And so then holding onto it tightly. And then there's, um, yeah, the contraction to like holding onto it. I have a funny story of like, I used to do these forgiveness fire ceremonies mm-hmm. back in the day. And this girl came and she knew how much the, it was like a suggested donation or I, maybe I charged, I don't remember. It wasn't a lot. And she was like giving me the, she waited till the end. She was supposed to pay before the ceremony had already happened. She had the most amazing experience. And then she was like, oh yeah, the thing. And like was giving me the money. It was in her hand. She had it. It's not like she didn't have it. Right. And she like, I could tell that she wanted to keep it because she had a lack and I was like, oh, thank you so much. And I threw it in the fire. Oh, wow. It was like, you know, maybe 30, mm-hmm. 30 bucks, whatever. I was like, I don't want this. But I'm sure as heck not going to give it back to you to like keep that story going that you have. And I was just like, it's an offering. No, that was the end. <laughs> um but I love that it's an offering to the fire, right? Like, I don't want to keep that money with all that energy mm. and I'm moving it. I'm circulating it. It's an offering to the fire. Thank you so much. Mm. Um, yeah, that, that like gripping that holding on. Yeah. And I think the other one, I heard this from a, a friend recently is like, why isn't it happening? Like mm. I'm doing everything right. I'm being on purpose. I'm, I'm like, why isn't it happening? Like, why hasn't, why am I not being provided for? Like, how come I'm doing all these things and I'm still not making them? It's like, that's such mistrust in God. Yeah. I like, I don't know how time works here in relationship to how time works outside of this weird calendar and clock and all this weird stuff that we've created. But like, my sense is that they're incongruent. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. different uh, timelines happening right and we're we're like having expectations on our timeline yeah versus like oh I'm I'm like deeply and I think that trust is the same thing as movement and and not contracting and mistrust mm-hmm. is a bit contractive and so it's a very similar energy and so like somatic work just in in allowing our bodies to be less contracted allowing our bodies to hold less tension mm-hmm. can be really valuable for our money like where, where is their contraction? Where is their tension? Where is their gripping in our minds, in our hearts, in our bodies, in our, um, in our actions and ways of being in our expressions, right? Like I'm giving, I have this thing. It's not like I don't have it, but I don't want to give it to you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great place to explore. It's just like on a somatic level is the experience of contraction, because I think to me, it's so greatly related to mistrust. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any tangible 
ways, like very base level ways that people can start to cultivate a relationship with money? Yeah, it's a language. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a game. It's a, it's a playful thing in this reality that has a language. And whether that's like the flow, currency, energy, or like understanding, like being in an intimate relationship with it, like knowing what's coming in, knowing what's going out, knowing where you're like being intimate with it, spending from a place of consciousness, um, intimacy, but also learning the language. Like my pet peeve is like, and I'm, I'm guilty of doing this myself at, at different times in my life. It's like, complaining about how hard something is versus like watching a freaking YouTube video mm. and like learning how to do it. So like go find, there are tons of classes on learning about money and investing and like the spiritual aspects and the tangible aspects and like learn about uh, constitutional rights and your taxes. And like, there's so many things that we can just make like, Ooh, that seems big and hard. And so like, I'm just going to put this big, hard thing that's overwhelming me over there and then judge it as bad and then not be in relationship with it, but expect it to be an, like a thriving thing in my life. Can you imagine if you did that to like a beloved or a partner or a friend that you like, I want this really intimate, thriving, abundant relationship with this person, but I'm never going to look at them. Um, I have, I don't know anything about them. <laughs> it's like, of course, it's not going to be a great relationship, you know, and die quickly. Yeah. 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 So it's like, get intimate with it. Learn how, like, learn about it, learn about different ways of investing. And, and I mean that from like money market stuff to investing in friends and family and their ideas and their projects through listening through like ways that you can invest that are non-financial like what does investing look like what does deposits and withdrawals mm -hmm. look like in your life and how can you be circulating that yeah. so I think it's it's getting it's always intimacy mm -hmm. it's always intimacy right the root of the issues is that we're not willing to get close enough to the thing, to feel the thing that's there because it's scary. And whether that's your romantic relationship or money or your business, or I'm hiding and playing small, it all comes down to the willingness to be more intimate. And you think you meet your edge. I thought I've met my edge in intimacy. Like, wow, this is the most vulnerable, intense, intimate thing I've ever experienced. And then God invites me into a situation that asks for more. And I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. But but when I do it, the results on the other end are phenomenal. So just being intimate with your money, putting a day on the calendar once a month or putting two hours on the calendar or an hour on the calendar once a week, that you're going to be intimate with it. So one of the things I do is like um, Stripe payments, like I get an email or a notification mm -hmm. and I, it's so easy to just delete them because I don't need them in my email or just to like see the message and like ignore it. Yeah. But I, I have a rule that like anytime a PayPal or Stripe payment comes in, I don't really use PayPal or that kind of thing, but um, that I really sit with it. And I like look at the person whose name it is, whether I know them or not. And I'm like, wow, thank you. Thank you so much. May this money come back to you tenfold. Like, thank you for, for working 
hard and your purpose in your life and then what you've received from that hard work and that purpose like you're willing to share that with me so that I can live my purpose and live my life mm. and and like I'm going to do the same you know and like made this just be circulated and come back tenfold that's beautiful I was also telling you that I was at Spirit Reavers recently and we have a trade blanket and a lot of people like they want to make money you know because this is, they put mostly the people who want to make money and don't trade. It's because they don't have a lot of money. They're in luck. Mm-hmm. So they don't want to trade for another somebody something because they, 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 their needs are different or perceived needs. And I, I went to the trade blanket this year with my deck. So what is the trade blanket? Like everybody just put something on there. Anyone who has something, whether it's like old clothes in your closet or a product that you make, or I knit hats or blah, 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 or I make salves, medicinal salves, like anyone who, not everybody does it. You put out a little blanket, you put your goods on it. And the intention is that like, this comes from primitive skill. This comes from, you know, indigenous culture, but this also comes from my, in my lifetime and my experience from in primitive skills and ancestral arts gatherings where everybody makes like mead and salves and beeswax candles and like net natural stuff. And then we trade because we see each other a few times a year and we all live in different parts of the country. And like, wow, this mushroom that only grows in the Northwest territories that you're like, oh my God. So yeah, that's, so this is like an evolution of it. And in the past I've gone around and like everyone wants money and nobody wants to trade. And I brought my deck and I walked around and I traded 16 decks for the most amazing, magical, like oils and body butters and like mead and candles. And like, I got these like such cool ceramic candle holders that I'm obsessed with. Like I walked away with like, I felt like I won the jackpot and I didn't trade. I bought one thing which was way above my trading price point, which was like this epic necklace. And a handful of people decided to buy my deck, but I was really in the trade zone. And it felt so rich because this is my community. Like I, I wanna, I wanna value these women and we're, we're circulating within, even when I am spending money. Yeah. Like, wow, I'm circulating this money within my community. I'm not going on Amazon. I mean, I do shop on Amazon in my life. I don't want to pretend like I don't, I do, but like in this moment, in this container, I was getting and, ex- and receiving and exchanging the most amazing things, medicine, rich medicine that got so much love put into it by just being in community and sharing my medicine. Yeah. I was like, I, it brought me to tears. Mm, it feels like that intimacy with the product because it's like you might know the person that made it and the love and the magic that went into it and it's just this beautiful exchange of each other's soul in a sense like their soul yeah like I got a, a pint of bee pollen from someone who's a beekeeper who like works with these bees intimately intimately and like this takes a long time to produce and it was just like wow, I know this person. I know the land where they live. I, I, I was like, I get to go back to Austin from this, these bees who live in like central Was- Northern Washington and like, wow, how freaking amazing is that? And this is such medicine. 
Yeah. Yeah. So the stories or the knowings that go with it, the kind of like the legacy that might mm-hmm. be attached to it. Do you want to speak to legacy at all? Cause I know that that's, that's part of your work as well as that legacy aspect. Yeah. I really look at legacy as like the, as a weaving with a thread that can continue and amongst all the other things in the world, like is your unique, your unique color that you're contributing to the tapestry of life and it makes an impact and it's not just present it's it's a necessary contribution it's not just welcome in the in the bunch it's it's needed and it creates it 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 changes the whole alchemy of of what's on the planet at the time when we fully share ourselves fully and legacy to me is building things sustainably. I noticed a pattern with these young 20 somethings who do a lot of like, I may, I make millions of dollars and like my business and they're business coaches for three years online, making millions. They, they share how they do it. And then in two or three years, they're not working and they're finding themselves and they're burnt out. And they're um, like, wow, cool. You achieved this thing. That's like, people work really hard for a long time to achieve. And like, you did it like, yay, let's everybody celebrate. And like, you're burnt out and it's not sustainable. And the way that you did it was okay for two or three years at your age. And like, it's not sustainable. And you're teaching people this method that's totally doesn't have longevity. It doesn't have sustainability. And not to say that that's everyone, but I have seen this theme with a handful of these coaches who are like, oh, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. And I'm not doing it in this way anymore. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I could see that three years ago that this was highly unsustainable, but you're teaching all these people and then they feel not good enough because they're, they're not getting the same results, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and like, if you had only like had the wisdom and the age to potentially see where this might go, right. And it's not their legacy. They let it go. It's not what they're going to be known for forever because it's, it, it doesn't have that, that same thread of, of the core expression of themselves necessarily. It's like, it's a profitable idea. It works really well. It's, it's like learning about like how to hack an out Instagram algorithm. It's like, wow, you just like made millions selling a course in this thing, but like, you know, Instagram's not going to be a thing forever. Yeah. Um, So for me, it's looking, it's always looking at sustainability, regenerative models, indigenous models of like how things are built, looking at biomimicry, um, which is a field of science that is, I think it's a weird word that I don't necessarily like resonate with the word of biomimicry because you're, you're mimicking nature, but like, it's a field of science for humans that kind of like the name of it kind of creates a separation of ourselves as nature. Mm. Cause you're studying like, there's like a book called the shark's paintbrush, which is this refers to this large building somewhere in Asia. I can't remember where, um, that they were always having to repaint because it kept getting really dirty and the paint looked bad. And so they studied sharks skin and how it self cleans in this really cool way and how it gets all these like kind of barnacles and things. And they're like self cleaned and, and it always looks like immaculate. <laughs> and they started studying it and like looked at the like, how does this shark skin do this? And then replicated the, the, nat- the natural way that sharks do this inherently to create paint. 
and then use this paint to paint the building. And then it stopped, you know, itself, it created a self-cleaning. Cleans? Oh, wow. Yeah, in a way. Um, mm. It's like, that's like biomimicry is like studying ants, studying bees, studying nature in any way. And like looking at how it's doing things and starting to replicate those patterns, um, which seems like, yes, you can do this as a science, but like, you can also just tune into your own. Like we have, we have that too. Like we yeah. can study, we can study ourselves by creating that intimacy and all those answers are there. Mm. Um, but, but based on how we create technology, I can see the value of, of that. Yeah. yeah. But I think it's creating models with this, like mimicking, not mimicking, like remembering ourselves as nature and living and creating from that place. And when we create something from that place, an example is I was writing a book in 2021 and I wrote a whole book and I ended up scrapping it mm. I ended up my process got a little disrupted with my divorce it was hard to like find my thread again before I was in like this zone <laughs> I felt so aligned and on purpose and I was in the zone and I was writing and then like that that got disrupted um but when I met with this girlfriend of mine who's been in the publishing in industry but who's also on this priestess path she was like you know, this is a good book for the masses. And you're writing from this like business perspective of wanting to get your work more known. And like, you know, is writing more of the Mark Manson's like the art of not giving a fuck New York Times bestseller kind of voice. And she's just started asking me these questions. What are the books that you like? What are the books that you pick up again and again? And there are these like unknown authors <laughs> that I think are bestsellers. I think are amazing. I think are my teachers. But when I talk about them, I realize like people don't know Stephen Jenkinson and Martine Park. Martine Parktel is a little bit more well-known now, but for a long time, not. Um, there's a handful of, of these like poets and authors and um, the voice that I got from all of them. I studied death midwifery for, I did like a year long training and there's this, uh, idea like philosophy in Celtic world and of the Anamkara and Anamkara is like the soul friend it's like who you want at your bedside when you die it's like your soul friend and they might not be your partner or family member they might just be like that's that person and I was like that's the voice that I want to write from like, that's that's my voice and like I don't need millions of people to write read this I just need my little niche of of women who, who care so deeply and feel so deeply that they are moved to do something in the world from that care. That's who, that's who my audience is, right? Like, I don't need everybody to read this and for me to be well-known. I just need it to find its way to these people so that we can have an intimate experience, not so that they can buy my products, so that we can have a, like, oh, finally, somebody in this world gets it. Yeah. Like, I don't feel alone because this book is talking to me in the way. It, and I wasn't, I didn't write my first book from that place. I wrote it as a business growth, mm. getting, you know, growing my business as a, as a tool. I didn't, it wasn't, an, it wasn't a service. It wasn't an offering. It was valuable content mm. and it could have been really successful in the mainstream. And that might've done something for me, but it's so incongruent to who I am and how I want to live my life. So I'm in the process of writing a different book from a different place. Like your and soul book. 
Right. Like that's legacy. Mm. It doesn't matter how many people read. It doesn't matter how well-known it is. Like that's not what legacy is, but that's going to live on way longer. You know, no offense to all these coaches who get these like hundred thousand dollars Simon and Simon and Schuster, like, and they, they like rock out a book in, in a few weeks. That's like from a, a Ted talk thing that they did and just gets, it's great. It's for the masses. Right. And it, it's fine. But like, I guarantee you that in 30 years, no one's going to read that book. And that's not what I want to create in the world. It's powerful. Very powerful. What has been your biggest lesson along the way? Like just like the thing. <laughs> oh. The one that drops in, I, that's current for you in this moment. I think for me, so much of my, my core wounding and like my awareness of what keeps the, the things that I buy into that keep me separate is really about belonging. Mm. Um, feeling like questioning the lovability, like questioning the like, there's something about me that's too much for people or is unlovable or is like this thing or is going to push people like these thoughts fuck up my life mm. and they're not true and they become true because I believe them and then I bring them into my relationships at times and there's so much goodness and so many other things but if I'm bringing that thread in somewhere that's that says I don't that that is buying into the lie that I don't belong and something's you know different and bad and wrong about me and everyone's going to find people are going to fall in love with me. I don't mean romantically. And then they're going to, they're going to like find out that really I'm a, I'm an awful person. <laughs> like so weird. Um, and this isn't a core thing in my life, but it's so underneath. It's so subtle. It's so like this tiny little trickling drop of water, like down in a cave, like super, super way down deep in like an underground in the underworld that like you can only really hear if you listen really closely and like it's really quiet and because I because I'm willing to go to those spaces and I'm willing to to navigate the darkness and and get quiet enough and hear that trickle and go find it and go explore it and and get curious and intimate with it and like feel the texture of it I can play with it, but I think for me that I think that's a big thing for everyone, not just Mm -hmm. me. And whether we have language to it or whether we're like, oh, that's so sad for this lady that she feels that way. It's like, yeah, but you probably have that too. (laughs) Somewhere, 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 somewhere in its own flavor and it's different language and ways that you would express it. And I think that that, um, that lovability is, is the, is the core of like, when I do rational emotive therapy with people RET it's like and then that would mean what and then that would mean what and then that would mean what and you start to see how irrational all of your thoughts are and it leads everyone to the same place which is like I'm in a hole just you know away from everyone in society by myself alone like left you know because because I got rejected in some way and I'm alone and I'm by myself and like that's the thing that we all fear and that leads a lot of our choices. Like when you do rational emotive therapy, it's like, this is the choice. And like, what made that choice? And it's always that fear when it's an incongruent decision that creates suffering. 
it's always rooted somewhere in like, I'm alone and there's no love for me here. And I'm afraid of that. So I did this thing through, through a series of like thoughts, unconscious thoughts or subconscious thoughts that like led me to make this choice. And I think for me, it's, it's like dissolving a lot of the dissolving meaning making has been like a huge lesson is like, and that means nothing. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean like, yeah, you had a past life and blah, 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 blah. And like, that doesn't mean serendipity. And like that, it just is what's happening. And that's so hard. And it's the most liberating thing. And it's the first lesson in A Course in Miracles, which is interesting. And it's like, it's like the basic lesson and that builds over time in different ways as, as you go through the practices. But um, yeah, for me, that's, that's probably the biggest lesson is like not making things mean anything. <laughs> Just, yeah. and it's so hard. And like how much we make things mean something that's not in our favor. That means something about our own lovability and like ability to belong. And like, why would we do that? Like, why? Like, if you could make it mean anything, if you're gonna make something up, make it mean something awesome. Like if you have, if you're gonna make it up something anyway, if you're not gonna be neutral and just let things be what they are and you're gonna make it meaning, like why choose to make it mean something bad about yourself or somebody else? Like. And I'm so guilty of it all. Like my mind is just programmed that way. It's amazing to observe it and be like, wow, that was totally unnecessary and mm. true. And like, probably not even close to what, like why that happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's mind blowing when we watch the mind and it's working. It's also fast. It's fascinating. Totally. I, I'm, I think the fascination and curiosity is a better approach than like judging ourselves for it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Somebody told me it's a Sagittarius thing, the making meaning out of everything. And that really well, that's resonated. A human, that's a human thing. <laughs> it definitely is a but human I, thing. But I think that Sagittarius might, might, might make up a little bit of like wilder, weirder stories. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, wow. But yeah, that's a powerful lesson. How do you experience the mysteries? Hmm. Mm. Just like that, mm. just like that subtle breath, quietude, appreciation, wonderment, just not a lot of words there, just the curiosity and like, I, I personally have a bit of gravitation into the the unknown, the dark, you know, I think cultivating our night vision and, and going into those spaces to get more clarity and see more clearly in the spaces where the, where it can feel scary because you can't, not, it's not also transparent, um, is not everybody's flavor of life. And it's super my flavor of life. Yeah, I felt like a deep diver into the, the mysteries and yeah to the subconscious the shadows the night the darkness the light all of it yeah and and the reciprocal and the joy and the ecstasy and the, yeah. the union with with god and life that um 
become so much more expansive because I'm willing to go into those places. Mm. Yeah. 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 And like, it, it just, you know, when you asked about the mysteries, like I just saw myself like quietly sitting in the forest with like a bowl of tea mm. and like just enjoying it. And so much is, I think that there's this idea of the mysteries being revealed and the unknown becoming clear and, and like, I don't actually want that. Like, I want them to like, I mean, there's part of my ego that, that wants to know things. Right. And like, I think the more intimate we become with someone as a romantic partner or a really, really good friend that we think we know them and we lose this mystery that is like, wow, like reveal yourself to me. Like in this moment, like, who are you? And we assume all these things because we want to know because somehow that makes us or like I want to know because somehow that makes me like have some power to be able to know something it makes me smart it makes me wise it makes me someone to come to I don't know I don't know but I would prefer not that this is what I always do but like I would prefer to reside more in the in the mystery and let like know less or at least assume that I know less instead of pretending that I know more than I do it's like the medical field like pretending that they know so much about the body when like they know like one percent and like 99 percent of the body is a mystery this is like authority (laughs) it's like how cool would it be if it was like yeah we're doing our best and like it's such a mystery and like we just don't know it's like I would trust you so much more Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. When I think back to one of my biggest lessons, this this is usually what comes forward after each initiation is like, I know nothing. Like right. I just, I know nothing. Every time I think I know, another initiation comes, and it's like, no, you know nothing, and sitting that. Yeah, I think for me in this moment, I'm realizing like I I feel like I can do that with life and God. Mm. And then like people and relationships that I have more intimacy with, like, I don't do that as much. And I would like to You're like, I don't know anything about you. Mm. Like, wow. Like we can, we can like relate in such a different way. If I'm, if I'm meeting you curiously in this moment, if I'm listening to you from this curious place, instead of like, oh, this is her pattern. And this is like, ah, I'm so tired of her coming with this thing. It's like, what if I just like meet you in this moment of curiosity and wonder and and receive you and like get intimate with whatever the expression is and not make up all this meaning about your patterns and archetypal expression and blah 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 you know yeah you would feel safer and more trusting and we could have a totally different experience and maybe I'm having a crappy experience and because I'm like projecting something onto that person Mm. yeah beautiful how do you root into the self Mm. It's an interesting word, root. The word radical means radical is a plant term. I think it's like used in a lot of like social justice arenas and and revolutionary times. But the word radical is really comes from part of the plant, the biology of a plant, which is the like the root. Um, and it, you know, just talking about like a groundedness 
And I've really been, I do a lot of somatic practices in my classes with people grounding by receiving the earth coming up to meet them versus like sending your energy down, like penetrating downward into the earth. And it's just a more feminine approach that is less energy exhaustive. Um, so when I hear root, like there's part of my mind, which is like this penetrative energy that's moving downward, that's like growing in a direction. And then there's also this part of me that's just seeing it growing and like earth moving around it to create these shapes versus like it having so much direction of its own. Um, and I think a big part of my relationship to reading is, is in slowness, is in pacing, is in, yeah, just moving a lot slower in the world and in my life and in my productivity and just trusting that there's plenty of time for all the important things in life. And when that trust is there in the abundance of, of time and resources and that I'm provided for, then I'm, I am rooted and I'm, I'm, moving from a different place within myself beautiful beautiful yeah and, and often the vehicle for me doing that is breath mm, being yeah. aware of my breath it's the breath okay, such a portal into this moment right here so yeah beautiful is there anything that you want to add before we close love no well, it'll be in the show notes where everybody can reach out to you and experience your magic and your medicine. And yeah, thank you so much for this beautiful conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining me for an episode of the Phoenix Rising podcast. Please like, share, download, subscribe if you enjoyed this episode. And I will see you next week for another episode on the Phoenix Rising podcast. Sending so much love.